Well, uh, good evening. Oh, man. Even in the evening, we're asleep, kind of. Uh, so my name is Pastor Marco. I am the teaching and preaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you guys so much for joining us this evening. And contrary to what Sean said, I won't eat any cookies or whatever's back there. So we can just skip over that. However, we will be finding ourselves in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and go to, to Micah chapter 5, verses uh, 4 through 5 a. And what I mean by 5a, I just mean the beginning of, of, of verse 5. <clears throat> Man, okay, so uh, what we're going to do, every, every time I come up here, I have a brain fart right before I, uh, I preach, and so you'll have to excuse me on that. Um, so with that being said, so yeah, we're going to find ourselves in Micah chapter 5, verses 4 through, through 5. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to read that scripture. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to transition into our time by, by a short wave of, of, uh, of illustration. So let me read that briefly. Man, we're just going to dive into our time tonight. I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, typically here in the valley, uh, we love Christmas Eve because everybody hangs out and celebrates and parties on Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day everybody sleeps in traditionally, and that might just be my family. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to find ourselves in Micah 5. So this is what he says. Uh, He writes, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their Peace. Join me in prayer, and then we're going to, like I said, we're going to dive in. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we not only prepare our hearts, but as we prepare, have prepared our hearts through worship and praise and song, uh, Lord, I pray that you would continue to penetrate our hearts now through your preached word, that I would be set aside, and that even as we celebrate this great occasion of Christmas Eve, that we would uh, put plans uh, and all the things that are going outside the walls of this building, that we would put them on hold and set them aside temporarily so that we would worship you and ultimately glorify you so that you would be made much of. That even in the light of families reconnecting and friends reuniting, that we would not forget that the joy of this time is ultimately the birth of Jesus, the coming of a king. And so, Lord, we love you. We worship you, pray that you would be glorified in this time. It's in your name that we pray, amen. So we find ourselves in the Christmas season, and, and, and generally or even specifically speaking, this is a time where you get to invite others into the story of God. And as we invite others into the story of God, what we're going to do this evening is look at Micah uh, chapter 5, which I've said several times, but why I want to emphasize that so much is because the prophecy that we see in Micah chapter 5 was written 700 years before the birth and coming of Jesus. And so we're going to look at something very unique, yet very exciting and very reassuring as we walk to Micah 5. Yet before I get to Micah 5, and as we talk about this invitation into the story of God, um, we begin this whole Christmas season, we begin with the birth of a child. And you know, typically, or not typically, but, but biblically, it doesn't even start there. 
You see, the birth of the child meant that everything that God has promised came through from Jesus Christ. All of God's promises find themselves in Jesus. Yet that wasn't where it all started. In fact, it all started back in Genesis 3, where not as a way of, of uh, a scrambled mind or not as a way of plan A, but plan, excuse me, plan B, but plan A was that God had a mission from the very beginning, and that was to send a Savior to die on the cross for sinners in exchange for their sin and his righteousness from the beginning. Yet we find ourselves in this really unique and exciting piece of, uh, find ourselves in this piece of history and this piece of time as we look to the Bible and we see that a child is born or about to be born. And what's so beautiful about that is, is what we call the incarnation of God. Incarnation means in the flesh, that we see God setting, setting aside his deity and coming down, dwelling among us in the flesh through Jesus Christ. You see, the joy of the incarnation destroys all fear for what is about to happen. For the reason he was sent, it was to destroy all fear at the cross. And so we find ourselves in this unique season where, again, we're reconnecting with family, we're revisiting with friends, and let me implore you to remind and remind you that that simply isn't the time, or that's, that's not the only reason why we come together in December. In fact, even in December, celebrating the birth of Jesus isn't the only thing we're going to do. In fact, we're going to find ourselves not just celebrating the birth of a Savior, but we're also going to be waiting in anticipation for His return when one day He will reclaim His bride, the church. And so we find ourselves in Micah 5. And what I love about Micah 5 is that He tells us what He will do. And who he is. And if you're new, I like lists. If you've been here for the longest time, you'll see, you know that already. So we're going to look at five things tonight. We're going to look at five things that Micah says God is and will do. And so as we look at verses four, the first thing that he says is, is that he shall stand. Oh, why is that important? Why are any of these things important? Well, let's begin with that first one. That he will stand, that Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords will stand and lead his people by serving them. You see, he is not a ruler that is going to be sitting down expecting them to serve him. But what we see, particularly in his life, in his incarnation, is that he serves others. That Jesus leads by serving and he stands upon the foundation of his word. You can look to Matthew 20, verse 20, excuse me, chapter 20, verse 28, where he writes, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the purpose of Jesus standing as Lord of lords and king of kings is so that he would lead by serving. And he exemplifies that in his life on earth by giving his life. The only one who didn't do anything, the only one who is without sin volunteered for death. 
The second thing that Micah says he is and that he's going to do is that he will not only stand, but that he shall shepherd. Now, that's, that's really important. You might ask, well, why is it really important? You see, shepherd, the, 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 the use of language of shepherding in the Bible is not just in the New Testament, but it is in the Old Testament. And the reason it's so significant is because a shepherd constantly leads, feeds, protects, and nourishes the sheep. And what we will see uh, in, in terms of his return, and even in what he's doing right now in our lives, is that he is the ultimate and great shepherd, that he is going to fulfill all of our needs. And that you and I, should we belong to God, will go without need, because our satisfaction rests solely in Jesus. You could look to Psalm 23. Verses 1 through 3, the psalmist writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still water, besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The beauty of Jesus as the great shepherd is that our joy will never be robbed again. Our joy will never be robbed. The third thing that he says he does is that his strength will not fade. All of this, once again, is in Micah 5, that his strength will not fade. His strength is unfading, and he will not grow weary. In fact, what he will do is become even more compassionate, where not only has he seen the need, but he actually acts and involves himself, where he literally meets us in our brokenness. And the mess that you and I call life, he meets us there with a strength that is unfading for the purpose of shepherding so that we would have no wants knowing that he is leading by standing and serving us. Man, it's almost the end of the year. And uh, if, you're, if you're a teacher, an educator, you're really tired, right? If, if, uh, if you're a parent, uh, it doesn't have to be the end of the year. You're just really tired because it's uh, six, it's almost seven, right? <laughs> you're really tired. Some of you are, are just tired, period. Maybe you've had really long days. Maybe you've had uh, a, a long and enduring season. Maybe you've had several challenges thrown upon you and you feel like your strength is fading. You feel like you've constantly gone under discouragement and defeat. You feel like the season or the year simply will not end. Yet what we see here is that his strength is unfading. So as he continually shepherds us, as he gives us his promises from his words, he does not grow weary. He doesn't grow weary. The fourth thing, I think that was number three. I've had a lot of coffee. The fourth thing, no, I'm not, I'm still on number three. Let's go back to number three temporarily. As I mentioned, when it comes to his compassion, here, here's one thing I did want to highlight. God is so compassionate and so in love with those that belong to him that he sent his son to die on a cross for sinners. I've, I've, I've said that, but, but check it. That's so important and significant because left to ourselves, we will constantly choose our sin. And because we choose our sin, if you think about your life apart from Jesus, he fell in love with you so much or he loves you so much that he sent his son specifically for you particularly as you were dead in your sin. 
Let's look at Ephesians. uh, I think this is Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. And Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I love that passage. I love that passage because that summarizes us in a nutshell. That while we were dead, completely destroyed, discouraged, defeated, and even now you may feel those same things, but while we were dead, he chose us that he sent his son specifically for you, choosing you and calling you out of that through a strength that is unfading. Which leads us to number four. Because his strength is unfading, Micah says that he will give us security. That there will be eternal security. Now that can mean a number of things. But specifically, eternal security. In, in, in other words, there aren't going to be seasons of security where it calls for preparation in the event something happens. That one day upon his return, we will have eternal security. Eternal security. And so, I, man, let's go to Revelation 21, 3 through 5. And he writes, and I heard a loud voice. We looked at this last week, actually. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That upon his return, there will be eternal security. That there won't be outside threats coming in now to rob your joy and to rob you of your discouragement or to rob you of what you have been encouraged by. That you will have eternal security security because of him. And finally, the last one, probably the one we'll spend a little bit more time on, and that's the beginning of verse 5. He says, he shall be their peace. That's number five. These are five things, right? So he shall be their peace. Let's look at two things. Number one, upon his return, when all things are restored, right? The first thing is, Wars will cease. That there will be peace. Earthly, political peace. That's number one. Number two. And I think this one's a little bit more personal. That if you belong to Jesus, the reminder about Him being peace is that you, through Him, are no longer at war with God. You see, sin isn't only missing the mark. 
Sin is direct opposition to God. And because it's a direct opposition to God, it puts us as an enemy of God. And as an enemy, we find ourselves at war with God. So, I know it's Christmas. If you do not know Jesus, you are at war with God. You are at war with God. If you do know Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, then the reminder here, and we'll talk about that first one in a bit, then the reminder here is that you're no longer at war with him. So stop being at war with one another. You are no longer at war with God because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Uh, We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. This is James chapter 3, verse 18. And he says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You can only make peace as if you've been given peace. You You only have peace if you belong to God. Now, you might find yourself saying, man, well then, maybe I am at war with God. Okay, then if you are at war with God, what the Bible teaches is to repent of your sin and to trust in Jesus. To trust in Jesus. You see, sin is not only opposition to God, but we find ourselves at war with God. And this actually takes us all the way back to Genesis 3, where left to ourselves, the truth is, the bottom line is, left to ourselves, we will always choose our sin. We will always choose our desires. And what we need is a Savior to come in and to rescue us. And that's exactly what God does through Jesus. In fact, that was the plan from the very beginning. It's creation, the fall, redemption, adoption. From the very beginning, that was the plan. So if you don't know Jesus, you can. And that means to repent of your sin and to trust him. Trust him. Because at the end of the day, here, here's a, here, we're, we're, going, we're going short today. Maybe it's the coffee. We're going short. But nonetheless, because the bottom line out of all of that, the bottom line is that Christmas, at Christmas, our deepest need is Jesus. And so we take time, like tonight, to not only reflect on the year and reflect on what's going on in our lives, but also to evaluate our need for Jesus. If you think you got it figured out, then you're far from him. So repent and trust in Jesus. The message of Christmas is that Jesus is our deepest need. You don't have to wait until 2018 for a resolution or a wishful shot at redemption. All of God's promises are in Jesus. And at the cross, upon dying for sinners, he gifts redemption, one that you cannot earn and one that you cannot purchase for all those who believe. The joy of Christmas is that Jesus came and conquered sin and death at the cross and freely offers salvation, redemption, and worth under the condition that you repent 
and trust in him. And so as we looked at Micah 5, I'll close with Micah 7. Because you can see a a prophecy all day long and maybe not do much with it. But then when it affects someone directly, it gives us perspective. And so we see how Micah was directly affected by this truth. And so I'll close with Micah 7. And he writes, Who is a God like you? Pardoning antiquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. And I love these next lines. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Those are two promises right there. The first one is that when we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus, he casts our sin into the sea. Elsewhere in scripture says that he will remember them no more. The second thing that we see is what Micah says just before that, that he will tread our iniquities underfoot. And he did, and Jesus did that at the cross. The joy of Christmas is the incarnation of Jesus that leads to the destruction of fear. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we close our time, as we close our time, Lord, it's been a long year for many. It's been a long year. It's been a hard year for some. But that doesn't mean that you haven't been faithful. That doesn't mean that you haven't been at work even through difficult circumstances. And as we find ourselves at a Christmas Eve service, we find ourselves learning and worshiping of the joy of the incarnation of Jesus. That the significance of the birth of this child meant the destruction of fear. Meant that sin and death and hell were going to be conquered by him on a cross. The joy of that event, the joy of that piece of redemptive history means redemption. It means new life. It means that if we belong to him, we have the power to say no to sin. That's why we celebrate Christmas because of the significance of the birth of this child. That the incarnation of Jesus meant the destruction of fear. Meant the destruction of sin. Meant the destruction of death. Meant new life for those who believe. And Lord, as we close this time and we continue our time of worship, of praising your name, whether it's through song or or through communion or through the preached word, we're going to continue to praise your name. 
We're going to transition into a time of, of tithes and offerings. And the reason, the reason we do this, church, is to continue to worship, number one, and to remember that at the cross, God displayed the greatest impact of generosity by giving his life. And so we give tonight in worship, in remembrance, and in celebration that we, and in celebration at the fact that we're opening our hands to things that we think we find ourselves in control of. And the truth is that if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you've been liberated of that. So let us give to worship. Let us give to provide a testimony of God at work in us. Even in the Christmas season where uh, it's stressful and there's a lot of headaches and you want to go to a, or you have to go to a bunch of things that you don't want to, in the midst of this, let us demonstrate worship. Let's demonstrate transformation. And let's demonstrate a testimony to what God is doing. And as we go into a time of giving, everything that we're going to give here tonight is going to go directly toward missions for 2018. As we finish that time and we go into communion, that's going to be our time where where we get to give our sin to God, where we know that we can't rid ourselves of our sin, yet, yet God can do that. God can pull our hearts of stone out and give us a heart of flesh because he paid for all of it at the cross. That the shot of redemption that we've been wanting, that the restart when, when January 1st gets here, that we feel uh, like we get to refresh our lives or that we get to restart our lives, that that doesn't need to happen a, a week out from now. That it can happen today because of the work of Jesus on the cross, because of who he is, because of what he's doing and what he will do upon his return. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.